Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ooh. 
and that was Natural Woman by KE to won an award at the Arias recently. So shout out to Kate. Um, and now you're tuned to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio. I'm Iris and I'm your host for the next hour. Thanks to Encyclopedia to the previous hour. Some really excellent information there on harm reduction. As always, I'm Iris, um, white, trans, non-Indigenous host and my pronouns are she, her, they, them. I've, I'd like first to give an acknowledgement of country that we're broadcasting over the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples here in Melbourne. And I'd like to pay respect to Indigenous elders past, present and future and acknowledge that Indigenous sovereignty has never been ceded and genocide is ongoing and so is the resistance from Indigenous peoples that's been ongoing for 230 plus years. Um, and on that note, just in the last week, we've seen um, the peak nationally, National Family Violence Prevention Legal Services for First Nations people cut by the Morrison government. So it's really important to put pressure on the government to reverse this decision in ways you can. And this is the same time as the Morrison government is spending hundreds of millions of dollars on commemorating the invader founder of this settler colony, Lieutenant Cook, in 2020 next year, and spending hundreds of millions of dollars on the Australian War Memorial's massive expansion that also ignores the frontier wars that are at the foundations of this rotten settler colony. Um, so for today's program, we're going to be... Um, announcing some shout outs to a few things, playing some tunes and one of the main content, one of the main themes of today's show is around HIV and borders. Um, this week I posted on the Queenia Facebook page about CJ Palmer, tra- CJ Palmer, a trans woman of color who, who's been criminalized for being HIV positive and woman of color and a sex worker in simple terms. Um, and there's a lot of hide and panic around these these things. And she's now facing double punishment, fighting deportation in WA. Um, in 2018, I spoke to Jules Kim from Scarlet Alliance a bit about this on the program. You can go and check that out for um, how things were at that time. Um, but at the moment, she has no money for essential items, so that's an important fundraiser to get behind in terms of providing solidarity in the fight against the criminalization of trans women of color, migrants, sex workers, and people living with HIV. And we know, like, her time in prison was even more horrible than for other people because she was kept in a so-called men's prison and denied hormones for lengthy periods. So that's really just highlighting the amplified violence of the prison industrial complex um yeah so in further news um shout out to the incredible disabled uh, black indigenous people of color content power from the margins created last tuesday by pauline vichuna so amazing that's up on the 3cr website at 3cr.org.au disability just i don't know 3cr.org.au slash disability day 2019. Yeah, just so much gratitude for that broadcast. So much amazing content there. Um, Yeah, and and content that really addresses directly um, 
problems in the so-called queer community and shout out to Leilani for one of the things that they said as well. And there's a, and there's, there, there was also a program produced um, when Le, with Leilani talking to Nino about being a black, queer and disabled woman. And that's, that was an amazing conversation. So check that on, out on the 3CR website if you haven't already. Um, and also transcripts are coming for that amazing day of broadcasting as well. Um, yeah, and it's amazing what, a, what can happen when a, a black, queer, disabled woman curates an amazing day of content. Um, so shout out to Pauline again. And in terms of other 3CR people that are amazing, um, most recently it was 3CR Awards and MV, who's also a part of Crewing the Air, won an award, um, received the Can Do Award. An amazingly generous person. I just want to shout out to MV and say that they're just an amazing person. Even behind the scenes, they help out so much in ways that listeners wouldn't know about at all. So, so next I'm going to play a track for you, Woke Blokes by Thelma Plum, and be back on Querying There on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Stay tuned to Querying the Air. I'm so sick of these woke folks living their woke lives, fucking their woke girls, and not like me. You're not like me. He's like, kill the boy down the road who hurt the girl real bad. Unless he is my friend or plays in my favorite band. He says, change the day, you should be grateful. You're only staring the pie. Babe, there's only so much I can do And your engine's gotta stop But I don't want to let it go If I do, no one will know And language warning for the song How it feels to be alone And I just want it to stop I'm so sick of these woke blokes Living their woke lives Fucking their woke girls Not like me You're not like me I'm so sick of these woke folks living their woke lives, fucking their woke girls. Not like me. You're not like me. He does yogurt in the morning and cocoa afternoon. He wants to take me to Bali, get me drunk on the full moon. His friends all start to panic when me to make the news. Yeah, it's like a witch hunt. I really don't share those views But I don't want to let it go If I do, no one will know How it feels to be alone And I just want it to stop I'm so sick of these woke folks Living their woke lives Fucking their woke girls Not like me You're not like me I'm so sick of these woke folks Living their woke lives Fucking their woke girls
And that was Work Plurks by Thelma Plum. And this is a song that I won't be playing. Um, you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio. At least I'm not playing it now. Um, so next I have content from the HIV and Intersectionality Symposium on the 27th of November in Melbourne. So credit to Hope Mathambu for recording this audio. Um, and she's a friend of mine and a member of Women on the Line, which I'm also a member of. Um, so tune into Women on the Line to listen to some women and gender non-conforming voices and content. And this audio is from a panel, Intersections of Colonization, Racism and HIV, Challenging Structural Racism in the HIV Response. And you'll hear first from Christian Vega, LGBTIQA+, Engagement and Pro. Jack's Multicultural Health and Support Service at Centre for Culture, Ethnicity and Health. And you're listening to Queering the Art on 3CR Community Radio. So stay tuned for this really interesting um, discussion. For now, there's Christian Vega. Who's going to talk for five minutes? Oh, <laughs> oh my God, it's a challenge. Uh, so Hi. My name is Kristen Vega. I've worked in HIV for 22 years now. Um, for people who don't know me, I have a background um, as part of a number of key affected communities, including people who inject drugs as sex workers. I'm a son of migrants. I've spent periods of my life as homeless. Um, and currently I work for the Centre of Culture, Ethnicity and Health. I don't know how all that fits together. I'm sure it'll make a really interesting This Is Your Life one day. But I'm going to fly through this um, presentation in five minutes. Um, I do want to start by acknowledging um, the traditional owners of the land that we meet on today. Um, and, and, and really acknowledge that it's under their leadership that a lot of this understanding around intersectionality has been, um, has been guided through. So um, I hope sharing this, including the wonderful Peter, <laughs> who's um, shared, who we've had many, I've had many a conversation about this with, with regards to heaps of different projects. I hope this sharing of information honors their work and their contribution to my understanding. So I'm talking about what the health of migrants mean. Um, so I'm just going to share an illustration. This follows very much Hope's presentation around intersectionality and what it actually looks like on the ground and lived experience. So as someone who wears multiple hats, um, this has played out in my life, but also through my work, um, particularly studying um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who use drugs, people who um, experience intersecting identities. This pink circle might be one identity, and I'm speaking on, I guess, working at Centre of uh, Culture, Ethnicity and Health, the experience of migrant um, men who have sex with men. So I'll use that as an example. So this might be their, their cultural identity, for the, the identity from where they're from. This might be their LGBTI identity. And in a person's mind, these two things overlap and intersect and create different colour and depth um, for a person. But when we look at the services that are directed at each of these circles, so services that are directed to um, LGBTI people or services that, so they may be AIDS councils, sexual health clinics, POS organisations, and, um, and services directed to um, a person of a particular ethnicity or cultural group, those services are um, often delivered through places like churches, community groups, 
what we find is that intersection actually becomes a gap and there are actually less services available for people rather than more. So this is, in intersectionality, we call this non-additivity, but um, I guess I wanted to sh illustrate directly what that actually looks like via conceptual Venn diagram. Thank you. <laughs> and, um, I also wanted to illustrate a real life example of what it means to leave people behind. So since the rollout of PrEP, that's a, this is a really good example. These are real three um, statements we can say about PrEP for um, people who access it. So PrEP is a more reliable prevention strategy and has reduced the impetus to use condoms and has safely normalised condomless sex. Um, I'm not going to read through that because that takes up a lot of time. You can um, read that yourselves. But for people who, I guess, <clears throat> have less services available to them, there are also less opportunities to access things like PrEP. So if we remove PrEP from the situation, this is the reality of um, particularly migrants, um, Medicare ineligible migrants who may not be able to afford PrEP. This is the sort of socio-sexual environment that they live in, that there is reduced impetus to use condoms and that um, condomless sex is more normalised, that we don't talk about zero status anymore, there's less um, sort of uh, social movement to do so. And things like health promotion, because um, STI testing is now linked to PrEP prescription, we don't really see a push for um, normalising routine sexual health screening. So we don't just leave people behind. The progress that most of it, that the general community make actually means that we push people further back than where we were before. And but now I want to talk about how we speak about the health of people who wish to migrate to Australia. So these are just a few um, uh, high profile news stories that you may or may not have seen. Um, and I want you to pay attention to the pictures and the headlines because they follow a fairly um, standard pattern. Usually we talk about um, such and such person is about to be deported because of a condition related to their health. And more often than not, those, those people are not just one individual, but actual families. Those families all look a particular way. I did manage to find, this, like, predominantly from Southeast Asia and South Asia, there was one Irish family in this whole um, search for stories, um, and they got a lot of news attention, but generally um, we're talking about families of colour. Even the language is now moved to um, health conditions being described as mild, as if, um, as if deporting someone for a health reason isn't why we should be outraged. It's the degree of their, um, of, of their health issue. Welcome to the Peter Dutton era of immigration. Um, so if we look at these news stories, the, the, the messages that are predominantly broadcast to particularly migrants of colour is that our health is a burden and a public threat to Australia. That if we acquire illness, it'll negatively not just affect us, but our families. That getting sick will lead to a lot of attention and legal trouble. And a diagnosis is a liability to our visa applications that we, and that it will get us deported. Now, I wanted to show those messages in contrast to the messages that we try to broadcast um, as the HIV community. 
And when you sort of put them next to each other, the difference is really, really stark. Is it really better to know? People have said that to us during workshops. You know, like we say, it's better to know your HIV status, but if that means I can't apply for a visa, is it really better to know? Um, you know, having no excuse isn't... And like even this, the one at the bottom here, that's clearly directed at um, heterosexual couples of colour. Testing and treatment is easy, safe and private, except when it's not. So we really send migrant communities mixed messages around HIV. And this is a campaign that was actually directed towards uh, international students developed by the New South Wales government. Now, I don't want to critique how good or effective this message is, but it shows you the gap, the difference between what happens when our communities aren't doing the health promotion. Uh, one minute, oh, crap. Okay, so um, this is also in stark contrast. So those stories actually formed a big campaign to push the government to re-examine um, its uh, immigration policies and um, and has increased the threshold from 40000 to $49,000 um, for the cost of a person's healthcare for the length of their visa. Generally, a student visa is three years um, and we, we got hold of the HIV guidance documents um, that, that are given to um, MOCs, the medical officers of the Commonwealth. Um, and it, it kind of describes the annual cost of HIV treatment being $15,000 per annum. So what that means is HIV positive international students can now apply to study in Australia. That's a new thing. And it's an amazing thing. And we don't talk about it enough. And maybe, oh, I have to do this because I don't have permission to use that guy's photo. <laughs> um, so maybe this is a better way of actually um, doing health promotion. The first one, you are not a burden, we are actually lucky to have you, is really an economic statement about um, migrants to Australia because really we'd be in recession without them. No one ever talks about that. Instead, we're talking about the health burden. Sorry, I'm getting dry. Um, and really, if we were to sort of shape uh, health promotion messages in the way that our community is used to, as in using, talking about the needs and concerns of our communities, it would, our health promotion messages towards migrants would probably look a little bit more like um, the image on the right. The image on the left is from um, an anti-anxiety campaign by, um, by artist The Latest Kate. Um, just wanted to put that in there because I thought it was relevant when I was putting this presentation together. Um, the one on the right is one that I just made up, like based on um, feedback we'd gotten from migrants. Um, and, and the outcomes of leaving migrants behind is, is really evident. I mean, there's a the proportion, the, uh, <coughs> proportion of late diagnoses um, has, has been always traditionally more than half. Um, of uh, migrants from high, high prevalence countries. Um, it's, it's come down over a number of years, this uh, graphs from AFEO. It's come down over the, the last number of years, but part of me wonders whether that has come down because people are less encouraged to go for testing. So, um, and, late, and late diagnoses, um, as people would know, may or may not know, is like an issue for everyone because late diagnoses means a person is, um, has a, high, has a higher viral load, is more likely to transmit HIV unknowingly. Um, 
So this is, it shows how, I guess, leaving people behind and, and not being inclusive of migrants actually has implications for the broader community. <coughs> and I just wanted to finish by saying that there's lots of things that we can actually do to fill that gap. Um, and things like extending Medicare eligibility to international students, there's lots of opportunity to talk about that. So I'm not gonna go through each one of these, but um, I just wanna say that there's lots of things that we could be doing and you know, being part of this conversation is the beginning of the process of filling in that gap. Thank you. And that was from the HIV and Intersectionality Symposium program that happened on Wednesday the 27th of November in Melbourne and that was recorded by Hope Matamdu. Um, and you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio. I'm Iris. Stay tuned to 3CR. Six years I've been in desert. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here with uh, Aboriginal Radio and... Um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you yours. to all What's of you cause? for What's giving us the opportunity to morning. speak on air. The bigger the reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things unfold. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes, it keeps going. You know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there. As prisoners, we can't blame everything on the external. So let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor, because real power comes from here, and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03-9419-8377. And you're tuned into Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio. Next, I'm going to continue, continue playing the audio from Intersections of Colonisation, Racism and HIV, recorded by Hope, and this discussion features, as well as Christian Vega, it features Peter Waples Crow, Aboriginal Health Educator at Thorn Harbour Health, and Ayush Venn, Peer Navigator at Living Positive Victoria. The second thing to do, then, is to ask if you guys have any reflections on each other's presentations that you would like to begin with. Or anything to ask each other. Sorry. <coughs> uh, I think I, I, I want to start by saying thank you to Chietza for like sharing like um, really personal reflections um, because I think like intersectionality sometimes gets lost as this sort of theoretical idea, but I think as what we are all very very well aware. It plays out in our everyday lives. It affects the way we raise our children, the way we talk about our families, the way um, we access just basics like schools, like all of that stuff. Um, 
So I think while it's, it's great that we're doing like a symposium on intersectionality now, and it's nice that we have an opportunity at work, most of us at our paid work, to actually come and talk about it. Um, for, for many of us, intersectionality has been sort of alive and um, really influencing our lives um, since very early on, if not from day dot. Oh, no, I... Ashvin, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi. <laughs> what a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. My name's Ashvin. I'm one of the peer navigators um, with Living Positive Victoria. Um, the peer navigation team is um, positive people who respond to positive diagnoses. Um, there's three of us on the, in my team. There's Anne McCarthy, who responds predominantly to men who identify as heterosexual. Um, there's Sarah Fagan, who, rep who represents the queer woman, and she represents mostly to women. Um, who have been marginalized, heterosexual women who are being affected by HIV. Um, because of the intersections that I fit into, I respond to international students who have been newly diagnosed, migrants and refugees mostly. Um, yeah, that was my introduction. Queeringthia is on a summer break. We are airing content from 2019. We'll be back on February 2nd. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, of course. So, You've been working um, as a peer navigator, and as you said, you're currently working with um, international newly diagnosed international students. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, what you've learned about the experiences and, the, and, the, and I guess the needs and the, the, the issues that newly diagnosed international students actually face in navigating their diagnosis on top of um, all of the other issues that, that come with HIV. Yeah, I mean, I. Obviously, the HIV diagnosis is, is what connects them to us. It's it's how we sort of form that, that first like engagement. That's the basis of which we engage initially. And then you realize that, that there are all these other underlying issues as well. Our first um, stigma against sex within like marginalized communities. Like, I'm Indian, we don't talk about sex. You know, it's like between a man and a woman and you know, they had to get married first and you know, it's like sacred and like, it's like the Kama Sutra and it's like, <laughs> and, and so like, it, already there's like a, a stigma against like homosexuality. So like, we know that homosexuality happens. Like whether we want to go into that whole like debate whether it's right or wrong, I, it's too long, but um, it's a fact, it happens. And we know that, and, that men engage with other men and, like, and, and on the basis of sex. And, when you stigmatize something, then these men then don't identify as gay, so they don't think that they're at risk. So they're out there, you know, putting themselves at risk while thinking they're not at risk, and they're exposing themselves to HIV. And um, I thought it was um, interesting that Christian um, mentioned before, like PrEP messaging and how it was targeted. When I first started working in this job, um, last year, I constantly got asked by international students after being diagnosed, why don't I know about PrEP until mm. after I am being diagnosed? And so the issue then comes again around like access to information. Like people, like w we, yes, PrEP works. It worked. It did great for um, Australian-born white MSM because we are seeing a reduction in the diagnosis in that community. But what about heterosexual people? What about migrants? What about international students who come to Australia and think, yes, I'm finally free from all that stigma against gay sex, so I can do and be as free as I want, but then don't consider the risk that comes with condomless sex. And yeah, and was that the question? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Someone else's turn to speak. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, any other uh, any responses to that? Or any just shout out from the floor? No one has said a word. Someone's got to break the ice. Look at you. Um, I'm just struck by how the first people of the country and some of the last people to enter are treated in very similar ways. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, because I related to all the things that people said. Um, yeah, and you know, I come with privilege. I've got fairer skin. Um, I'm a product of colonisation, and um, but I'm still really fiercely Narigo, and um, I think it's really hard to get traction. There's only I I feel like I get burnt out because there's not many Aboriginal voices in the space. Mm. Um, and the two other workers, so we have three workers to cover the whole of Victoria and that's all the STIs, all the bloodborne viruses. Um, one at Vacho, Anne Roseman, who's not Aboriginal, and Aisling at Victorian Aboriginal Health Services, who's employed as an STI BVV nurse. And myself, who's part-time at um, a HIV and LGBTI space, so three days a week. And that's to um, keep Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander HIV, STIs and BBVs. And we're seeing an outbreak of um, syphilis amongst Aboriginal women in Mildura. Um, I don't know. I, it's a disgrace. It, it's a disgrace that it's... We watched it travel, the STIs, across, across the country, across from Queensland to Northern Territory, to Western Australia, into South Australia. And we've done absolutely nothing. And, and so, you know, you talk about being thinly spread. Um, you and two other um, people who are the workforce in Victoria, yeah. the BBSTI. Um, how can people, how can allies, how can people working in mainstream services, non Aboriginal services, actually help um, share this burden? Can you just give us a little bit of a, um, a snapshot for people who don't? understand or don't really know um, about the community-controlled health services yeah. and, and just a bit of a sense of how to work with community-controlled health services because you three can't be the conduit for everybody. No, we need our allies. People need yeah. to establish direct relationships yeah. with the ACOs. Yeah, so there's the Aboriginal Community Control Health Sector, which is the first service was um, in Victoria in 1973. The very first Aboriginal service was in Redfern in New South Wales. But it came out of the movement of self-determination in the late 60s, um, black power, um, spawned on by the Black Panther movement of the USA and other um, things that were changing in the, the changing times in Australia where um, we, we came out of sort of, oh, I don't know, out of, out of being excluded into having a voice um, time, time of government. So, what that spawned from the 1970s, early 70s on is now, a, a, I think there's a hundred and over 130 Aboriginal community-controlled health services across Australia, but I still feel like the mainstream doesn't know we exist. I worked um, in Vacho, which is the peak body, so each state has a peak body. That The role of the peak body is to support all the um, hands-on services and frontline services to do the work in a lot of ways. So. Sometimes your hands are tied at that level. Um, but I think what you have to do is form partnerships with Aboriginal communities, which whichever you can do. But you've got to understand there's a really lot of mistrust. So um, don't give up easily. Go in gently and always 
ask the community what they their priorities are. Like often in research and in health work, it's the mainstream who come in and say, we're gonna do this, this is our priority, but it could not be the community's priority. And you have to really listen. I think I wrote something, there's a document and it's on the Vacho website called How to Build a Great Relationship from 2005. So I think um, I did that with Priscilla Pyatt and I think that really if people want to get a framework for how to work with community and what makes a successful program and outcomes, the community have to really like the program as well, you know, that, that's just a bottom line. But I think the partnerships, they take a lot of time and you have to get cultural awareness and that should be built into that program as well. Because, yeah, and I think people are scared to um, interact with the Aboriginal community because of racism, because of they're scared of what they might say something wrong. I think it's been the same around LGBTI communities as well. You know, that people, we're often really scared to step into the space, but without you stepping in the space and having some courage and conviction, um, a long-term goal to improve the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and other affected communities, you're not gonna do it, you know? So you have to try to get support from the top of your organizations. So in gold senior management, maybe rap plans are one thing, but I feel like, what have I got to reconcile as an Aboriginal person? You know, they're very white looking and white focused a reconciliation plan and you can't, it's not about ticking a box of diversity, you know, you gotta really try to avoid that because it's really see-through um, and can really, drive you crazy it's really tokenistic and we see it you know the rich get richer the poor get the picture and we get the picture we know when we're being treated as tokens um so we want meaningful engagement and that means courage support from the top um maybe we need some truth telling in this country which is part of the uluru statement which has been squashed by this government we will not own up to our horrific genocidal past that in 1788 we still get taught that Captain Cook comes and we get to celebrate this man who was a founder of genocide and the destruction of our cultures. And you know, um, it's about time this country owned up to its past. Maybe then we could move forward with true reconciliation. I just wanted to say, Okay, I was just going to add to um, what Peter said, um, just some learnings that um, I got through a project that Peter actually helped me with, um, was the Being Real project I did at ABLE, the National Peak Body of People Who Use Illicit Drugs, and what we found was one of the really effective ways organisations and services can start building respectful relationships with Aboriginal, um, with ACHOs or ACHOs, um, Aboriginal Community Controlled Organisations, is just by telling the story of your organisation to those other organisations. Because um, really, it's a way of, we're all in this together. You know, sometimes the big, the, the Captain Cook story is not the only story of Australia. The HIV story of Australia is another story of Australia that's different. It actually sits alongside Aboriginal community controlled health organisations. Once they can see that there are communities who actually share their values around self-determination, community control, peer-based movements, we've got a lot of common ground with um, our Aboriginal colleagues. 
Um, what you do is you leave the door open to find um, opportunities to collaborate. And I don't think we do that enough. I don't think we own our stuff enough as a HIV movement because you are all amazing. And if you look at um, ourselves in the global context, there's actually lots that we can be proud of. We just need to start sharing that with people who are like us. Comments, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my question um, refers to a lot of the issues that have been uh, raised by the, by the panellists, um, which really are deep historical, social, economic and political issues. That really, I mean, I've worked in the community sector for about 30 years. Um, if you look at it at, the, you know, at a theoretical level, the social determinants of health as a theory uh, to explain how the differences in health in societies has been around for decades. So all the things you've actually said is really nothing new. But the, but the reality is that most of our organisations are government funded. To actually do some, even some of the stuff that Christian has put up, doing that kind of advocacy, they will run a mile, they won't even listen to you because they see it as all those as way too political and that's not their, um, their remit. Their remit is to do health or engagement. So my question is to the panelists, how do we go in a situation where most of organisations are totally against advocacy or any kind of that deep uh, social determinants of health um, uh, structural change? You want me to go? Uh, I, I'm just making it up as I go, but then I, I guess one really good way is that we start to form our own, within our communities, our own groups and our own like methods and mediums that we, we communicate because, I mean, if we are not going to be taken seriously, if we're not going to be considered, then why would you not start up within your community? Mm -hmm. Wait, wait, no? Mm -hmm. I'll just quickly add, um, HIV has a really strong history of community organising, like most of our organisations, mm -hmm. whether they're POS organisations, sex worker organisations, organisations of people who use drugs, um, AIDS councils, started off as collective of people from those communities getting together and creating our organisations. Um, we created um, boards that employed people to do the work. Those organisations also came together and formed national peak bodies. So where the advocacy can happen actually happens at two contact points. One, at the community grassroots level, our membership, our communities can do the advocacy. And like there is no bit of progress that the HIV movement has made without that advocacy starting at the grassroots. Also, national peak bodies who are protected from losing state-based funding, that's where a lot of the advocacy work should be happening as well. And I know Pierre, Pierre's my boss, responding to my boss. Um, we work for an organisation that does BBV STI work, but I think um, one of the things we can learn is how to do advocacy through those structures, starting from the grassroots and actually activating, encouraging, enabling um, uh, people on the ground who are not faced with the threat of losing funding to do that advocacy with us. And that was audio from the HIV and intersectionality symposium, Intersections of Colonisation, Racism and HIV. Special shout out and thanks to Hope for that recording. And you heard from Christian Vega, Peter Waples-Crow and Ayushman.
So now I'm joined on Queering the Air with a surprise guest, Shargaze. How are you? I'm really good. I'm here to do um, the Hip Sister Hop show with Saron, but I was early. So now I'm here and I saw Iris, her Iris's voice. I was like, ooh, queer in the air. I'm queer. Let me get in that room. And that was a really amazing recording. I was so grateful to drop in for that and hear that. And I'm so grateful for Peter and the work that they do and all the people that just talked. Like, yeah, I'm just really grateful to have heard that and just reminds me of things I've been thinking about and, you know. Yeah, it was really an amazing discussion. It's so important to, yeah, work out how to center HIV positive people in our communities. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was powerful. But then you were like, what do you want to say? And I was like, well, I wasn't prepared. But then I wrote, um, no, I didn't write. I posted some things on Facebook. I like giving the voice to other people too. And I really appreciate you for the work that you do in that, like just finding the space where you can just broadcast and like, you know, create the space where other people's and particularly marginalized people's voices can be heard. Um, and yeah, and so I feel grateful to be here and to have a voice too. But yeah, I just wanted to uh, read some things I posted on Facebook, put them in the airways, you know? Yeah, I'm grateful to have you on the show as well. We so much gratitude for you. Yes. Um, yeah, Shah's a friend for pe- of mine, for people that are listening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just dropped in. Friend of many. Y'all of know. many. Many. Y'all know. <laughs> um, and check out the other time you're on the program as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Four o'clock. Um, yeah, we're going to have a party. Um, and that's it. It's a black, queer, femme, gender non-conforming space. We're about to play some hip hop. But I wanted to read um, something from one of my elders, then one of my online elders, you know, the people you just like love their posts and you're like, and they're a writer. They're really amazing. You should all check them out. And they, yeah, are out here. They live in, um, I wish I knew the name of the actual country, but so-called Canada. Um, And they're a black queer um, elder that talks a lot about ageism and talks a lot about um, racism in, yeah, spaces that, you know, are supposedly deemed safe. Um, So, yeah, this piece of writing they wrote just the other day. So their name is Rhizomi Syndergast Coelsenth Flourishing. That's their name. Um, But I think if you type in Rhizomi, which is R-H-I-Z-O-M-E, and then Flourishing, you should be able to find them. Um, But, yeah, check their writing out. But this piece they wrote, and I'll just um, read it. So it says, Dear White Folks, Instead of telling yourself you are creating cutting-edge knowledge, please check around to make sure yourselves aware of what Indigenous, Black and people of colour are already working and innovating in those areas. Writing anything about carcerality and the prison industrial complex is not ever going to be something you arrived at first as a white privileged folk, especially if you're middle or upper class. Check for and signal boost the work of black and or indigenous folks who have contact with the prison industrial complex either personally or through relatives and that's bound to be much more extensive and intersectionality ground. Sure, you say fuck the police, but the police function as a force bent on protecting whiteness and class privilege meant to protect your peoples. Do not hope to make yourselves and your words central as radically politicised white folk talking about carcerality in any form, whether it be community-based as shunning, disposability or the prison industrial complex. 
Shut up and sit your privileged white selves down. Most of us are already writing at a great personal cost on these topics. Better you support us than try and make your careers off the erasures. Whoa, my iPad just died. No! Oh, no. Maybe we'll continue that once we get some power for your iPad or another yeah. device. Um, yeah, it's on my Facebook, so I'll just get it up. Yeah, you're tuned to Queering the Art and 3CR Community Radio. I'm going to play Shade Away by Electric Fields. Yeah! It's like on April. You got my feet to dance in all Tilly. You raise up the day all Tilly. You got my feet to dance in all Tilly. You just throw the shade away.
that was Electric Fields with Shade Away. You're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio. I'm Iris, and I'm joined in the studio with Shah. And, yeah, how are you, Shah? Well, I was just in the middle of uh, talking before, then my iPad died, but now it's back on. And, but I was so happy to have a little Electric Fields interlude. Those people and beings and deities in the world are just everything. Anyway, as I was saying, I was reading a piece of writing from a writer, one of my queer black elders online, my online elder, Rizomi Syndergast, Coelsynth Flourishing. And I'll just start where I was finished off. And it says, shut up and see your privileged white self down. Many of us are already writing at a great personal cost on many topics. Better you support us than try to make your careers off the erasure of our work. Claiming ignorance of work already being done that predates yours is no excuse. Look around you and past your sycophantic circles. Make sure you are able to see past yourselves. Hashtag no excuses. So that's what I was reading. And then the second thing I wanted to read um, was another, it was written by someone named Christy Belcourt. Um, and it's uh, a tweet, a tweet from Twitter. Um, and it says, I was once asked to speak at a university and they asked me how much I would charge. I told them, whatever is equal to the most you've paid for a white male to come in to speak. It turns out they had budgeted one third of the same amount. Being in an indigenous apartment, they just weren't aware of what the top paid white male speaker had received at the university. They asked, and they, they asked for the equivalent for me. I got it, and then used it to help build a cabin for one of our elders in Nimki Azhibkong, our language camp. And that just really inspired me, and I was just really um, proud of Christy Belcourt. And I was just like, yes, like at this point, if you're a waged white person, like if you're getting a wage and you recognize that there are black and indigenous people doing work in your institutions that are being paid less, you really need to also advocate to turn that around and uh, to pay up. And these institutions need to do the same and not continually degrade our intelligence by trying to pay us less or cheat people out of what is deservedly theirs, especially on this stolen land. And First Nations people deserve a very large percentage of your paychecks at this point. So that's all I wanted to say. And thanks, Iris. And thank you. And yeah, paying respects to all the elders on this land, this unceded sovereign land. So thanks to the Wurundjeri people um, that are here and in spirit and thanks yeah i'm very grateful awesome thanks Uh, yeah thanks for yeah sharing those two pieces really important um so i think next we're almost at the end of our show so we're just going to be um talking about some upcoming events and etc um one thing that's happening at the moment is the visibility exhibition it's happening at wyndham art gallery and it's curated by Pauline Vicuna and Hannah Morphy Walsh, and it has really amazing content. It's so amazing. Everyone has to go. If you haven't been, definitely check it out. It touches on so many issues relating to disability, queerness, blackness, transness, like so, so many intersections that aren't often found in art that's curated. And the art is just so out of this world. It's so beautiful. I was so proud and honoured to be there that night. I was like, what? They deserve everything. Damn, they did that. 
Yeah, amazing. Check it out. And also, I think next year, there'll also be a podcast where you had the privilege of listening to a live artist talk, and that will be coming out. So, so that'll be coming out next year via the Wyndham Art Gallery. So check that out as well on your radar. Um, and and think, you can also listen to the broadcast from the other day on yeah. 3CR. Pauline did 12 hours of radio. That's wild. Yeah, definitely worth shouting out again to that amazing 12 hours. If you haven't listened to that, definitely listen to it. And also you had the, the Footscray Community Arts Centre. Paula Bella has an exhibition about Ter- what is it again? It's Disrupting Creative Terranolias and it's the creative PhD. So it was like so profound and just, it, I can't even describe it in words, um, but definitely go see it. Um, Paula Bala is an amazing person out here. It is amazing, amazing, amazing. So yeah, I went and I just, I'm still processing. I'm going to go back. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope to check that out. Definitely check that out if you're interested, listeners. And up next, we have the final Hip Sister Hop show yeah, run yeah, by yeah, yeah, DJ yeah, yeah, yeah. Abyss. Um, and I just want to shout out to DJ Abyss, who also won the Lust for Life celebrating the best music and arts programming on 3CR on Friday. Very they deserved. Lit. They very don't deserved. quit. Very deserved to win that. Um, I'll miss your presence on 3CR <laughs> so much. Just a phenom- phenomenal effort every week to have often guests on and to curate like an amazing playlist so as well. epic every time check out the archive there'll be receipts of this awesomeness i can't believe that we're about to yeah that spark um, is going elsewhere for a little while oh my goodness. yeah so so much yeah love and appreciation for you and so i'm much. hoping for the best for what you're doing next Simply in the future the best boom 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 some live music there by Shaw. Acoustic. We in okay, the studio. So that's <laughs> it for Queering the Air. You can get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter or queeringtheair at gmail.com. Stay tuned for the last Tips is the Hop by DJ Abyss. Keep listening to 3CR Community Radio and support as well at 3cr.org.au because we're funded by the community. Thank you for listening. Yeah. See ya. I'm going out with Miss Planks. Skinny bitches language warning for this track. Oh. Dumb, yeah, they know that. I fly high, I'm a mogul, yeah, they see that. Skinny bitches know me, tone the bone. Ass but there ain't nut, nothing to hold on. Yeah, he like it when he mixes it with a big chick. Cause she juicy and she wild, that's the real shit. All these skinny bitches check my credentials. Boss bitch, about to steal your man type shit, uh. Better get it, you be trying to hold it down. You're a skinny light bitch, you ain't never had the crown. The crowns are the baddest, the thickest, the hood bitch. Better step back, my space is the realest. You a bona fide sucker, you be fucking the masses. I'ma give you straight F's, skipping all of the classes. I'ma teach you that thickness 101. Like how to grow your asses, so you're the number one. Ha! You ain't fucking with a real bitch. You ain't fucking, you ain't fucking, you ain't fucking with a thick bitch. You ain't fucking with a real bitch. You ain't fucking, you ain't fucking, you ain't fucking with a thick bitch. Skinny bitches in my zone, baby, feed them. Skinny bitches in my zone, baby, feed them. Skinny bitches in my zone, baby, feed them. I'm the creme de la creme of the sea. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.